Scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. Listen to the Word of God. I, Paul, do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to continue reading from Ephesians 1, but going back to the beginning, you'll find this on an insert in your bulletin if you haven't already found it. I believe if you're watching online, you can download what I'll be reading at this time as well. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every kind of spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For example, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, living in his presence before him because he loved us. And he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. All of this was a gift, unmerited, bestowed on us for free by Jesus the Beloved. Because of him, we have redemption. That is, we have forgiveness for all the laws of God we've broken, set free from sin to belong to God's family again, all paid for by the infinitely expensive and precious lifeblood of Jesus, like a gift lavished on us for free. Further, he has given us wisdom and insight to enable us to know the mystery of God's will. That is God's eager desire and eternal plan set forth and implemented by Christ to bring human history to a conclusion in the fullness of time by bringing together and making sense of all the unresolved loose ends of life, loose ends both in heaven and on earth. Also because of Christ, according to God's purpose, whose counsel and will is always accomplished, having set our hope on him as our first priority, we have obtained an inheritance in heaven. We are those who have been chosen by God to exist and live now and forever for the praise of God's glory and Christ's glory. And also in him, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had put your trust in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the pledge of our future inheritance in heaven, where we will be fully redeemed, restored as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, 
and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you. We ask that you would take the word that has been read, and by the power of the Spirit who is mentioned in the word, who raised Jesus from the dead, you would bring life to the written word and place it within our hearts that your own life would give life to us as well. Through Jesus, the risen Savior, we pray. Amen. For many people, religion is about an ethic, a chosen way of life, a certain set of practices that make us members of one religion or another, followers of one religious leader or another. And there's no question that this way of thinking about religion at times can be helpful if you want a very general understanding of the similarities and differences between various groups of people from different backgrounds. Strict Jews, for example, do not eat various foods unless they're kosher, observe special days and festivals, whether it's the Sabbath day or Passover or whatever it may be. Muslims pray five times a day. They fast in the month of Ramadan, and if they can, they go on pilgrimage to Mecca. Hindus revere Catholic sacred and embrace various manifestations of God or various multiple gods, depending on who they are. Buddhists seek to understand and cope with suffering finding enlightenment, often through meditation and through what they call mindfulness. And all of these generally follow certain moral code, which has to do with their particular faith. Sometimes these moral codes overlap, and they read specific holy books. The same, of course, is true for us as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. We celebrate Christmas and Easter together. We follow specific rituals of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Within our services of worship, we are supposed to read our Bibles, and we are supposed to remember Jesus' teaching to love God, neighbor, and yes, even our enemies. This call to action on behalf of Jesus Christ. So specific religious actions can be helpful markers to identify one group of religious believers over another group of religious believers. But when we read Ephesians, when we read what the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in the region around Ephesus, a city in modern-day Turkey, uh, on the coast, and a, a, a whole huge population surrounding that area, what's remarkable in his letter is this, that in the first 20, 23 or 4 verses or so, there is mention of only one specific action that identifies the group of Christians to whom he is writing that he wants to use to identify those Christians as Christians. And that single marker is in verse 12. That marker or that action is this, that we are, this is what we are to do, we are to live for the praise of Christ's glory. That's the mark of a Christian. We are to live for the praise of Christ's glory. Now, this is not an easy thing to do, to live for the praise of anybody else's glory. It means that our individual main goal in life is to see someone else, not ourselves, high and lifted up in front of other people, praised and honored by other people. It means we lay aside all kinds of our own hopes and dreams 
for our own glory, and we give ourselves away to another. This is thus not easy, and it can very easily head in the wrong direction, even if we try to make it a part of our lives. It can often lead to a boatload of resentment later on. You begin right, but then resentment creeps in. And often this resentment, if you look at TV shows and movies, underlies many plots and stories that we see. It could be on TV, it could be a movie. So somebody is a, a long-time assistant of somebody else. If it's a British show, they may be the butler. could be a colleague of someone else. And there's someone more important than them in this plot, the boss whom they serve, the friend or the spouse. And they give their life away to this significant other. And they become like nothing. And then there is this moment, a twist in the plot, when we they realize that there's nothing being reciprocated. There's nothing coming back. There is no recognition of the sacrifice that is being made at that particular moment. And their, their love and their service is spurned. And then their desire to give themselves away to another quickly turns into something else. It often turns into hate and resentment. So in the story, they then go and murder their boss. They go and murder their spouse. They do something awful to them. And then they get blamed for the murder, or maybe they are not responsible for the murder, but you're supposed to think that they're responsible for the murder because they're so filled with this kind of resentment there. And then along comes Perry Mason and fixes it all. <laughs> or it could be Hercule Poirot, or it could be Hieronymus Bosch, or somebody else who reveals the awful truth and sort of gets to the root of the complexity of all the relationships and the stuff that's going on in these people's lives. So it's just not that easy to live for the praise of another, and to do it with a genuineness which stays the course. Though sometimes it can be done. And sometimes it's not about completely giving your life to another. But hey, there are people out there for whom we would do anything. I mean, anything of us, right? People who are so important to us, not because of some rule or regulation, that we would do anything if they asked us to do it. I suspect that there's some survivors from 9-11, or relatives of the living or the dead, who to this day, 21 years later, would do anything for the brave men and women who came to their rescue or the rescue of those they loved. If they called up, they'd say, yeah, of course. It's as if that 21 years was just a moment, and yes, respond in that kind of a way. A lifelong bond that couldn't be broken. Or in Great Britain, I think there are people who would live for the praise of the glory of the Queen, who would have done anything for her if she had asked. Sometimes the monarchy is compared to the office of the President here in the United States. We know that there are some who would do anything for their Commander-in-Chief, for the President of the United States, because of the office uh, that is there. I think, actually, the comparison between the Queen and the President perhaps should be better as the comparison between the Queen or the monarchy and the flag. Because both of these stand above politics and the fray of everyday battles, and they speak about something glorious and wonderful that we so desperately want to believe in, and for which we would give our lives, the honor and the glory of the monarchy or the flag or whoever it is. Perhaps for you, though, there is somebody to bring this back down to earth, or something, somebody for whom you would do anything if asked, and perhaps you have given your life to them, but whether you've given your whole life to them or not, if they were to ask you, you'd stop everything 
and listen to what they asked for, and if you possibly could, you would do it. Someone who's changed your life or saved your life in some way. Not as a legal requirement, but out of a deep and abiding gratitude. I think, for example, of a particular pastor in my life, some teachers in my life, and I think there are more. But these ones had an enormous impact on me. My pastor, Herbert McKeel, who challenged me and believed in me when I had no clue what he was talking about, and yet he planted a seed in my life which changed everything for me. Or I think of the guidance of my doctoral professor, Paul Ochtemeyer, telling me not to quit when I wanted to quit. Or transforming word of encouragement from a theology professor at seminary who said something kind about a paper which led me on to apply to graduate school later on. If they were to ask me, I think I would do anything for them if I possibly could because they gave me so much. And this is how the Apostle Paul understands the Christian life. This is how he understands what it means to follow Jesus and why he wants us to put Jesus at the center, the absolute center of our attention, to look on him as the one for whom we would live for the praise of his glory and not our own, the one for whom we would exist for the praise of his glory and not our own. Paul sees life this way because of one simple truth, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us that we simply could not do for ourselves. And in writing his letter to the Ephesians, he clearly wants his readers, including you and me, to feel this way too, to, to want to live for the praise of Christ's glory. Not to think about a hundred different things that we ought to do which mark us out as Christians, but to want to live for the praise of Christ's glory because of what Christ has done for us. So he opens his letter by pouring out on the Ephesians a whole list of things about who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. Doesn't tell his readers what to do except to live for the praise of Christ's glory. But he tells them repeatedly what God has done through Jesus Christ for them and provides the reason for giving their lives away to this most significant other. So I want you to listen to the opening words of Ephesians once again as I read through it and comment on it for you. And ask yourselves if you know this to be true of you, that this is what Christ has done for you. First of all, the apostle speaks about the fact that you and I have been in the mind and in the, the heart of God from beginning, the beginning of time, from all eternity, before time began. Do you believe that about yourself, that you were in the mind and the heart of God from all eternity? So it begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For example, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He set his attention on you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. That is to be like a priest who enters the temple before God in God's presence. And he does this out of love, says the Apostle Paul. Out of love for you before the foundation of the world. Then he says he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to bring us into a community, a family, 
when loneliness is at epidemic proportions in our society. He says, I want you in my family. And all of this is a gift, unmerited, bestowed on us, freely by Jesus, beloved by God from all eternity. Do you believe this? that you've been in the mind of God in this way from all eternity. And he longs for us to be part of his family, the royal family, the royal family. And then he adds that despite all our shortcomings, nothing can stand in the way of God's love for us. Nothing we have done or will do in the future is so unforgivable that it will break God's passion and desire for our lives. Because of him, he says, we have redemption that is, forgiveness for all the laws of God that will be broken in the past and might break in the future. All paid for, fully paid for, by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Expensive, precious, life flowing out of Jesus into your life and my life, like a lavish, free gift. And further, he reminds us of this in a world of chaos and how chaotic our world is just now. I spoke at the beginning of the service about the end of various eras, and we're in this uncertain time right now. But Paul reminds us that in a world of chaos, and it was chaos back then when he lived 2,000 years ago, that God is still in charge of history, our personal history and the history of the world. And one day, through Jesus, God's plan is to bring eternal order out of chaos, to bring eternal order, not a boring order, but the kind of order in which people thrive and live out of chaos. Verse 9, Christ has given us wisdom and insight to enable us to know the mystery of his will. What is this will? Well, it's God's eager desire and eternal plan set forth and implemented by Christ for the fullness of time. So God desires this from all eternity and then at the right moment in time and then leading up to the conclusion of all of history. He sends Christ into the picture, into the middle of it all, to bring history, your personal history, my personal history, all of history to a proper conclusion, bringing together and making sense of all the unresolved loose ends of life here on earth as well as in heaven. And in the meantime, he gives us power and strength and confidence. Power and strength and confidence. Do we have that? Where is it coming from? Do we know that this is what God wants to give in our lives? Not a rude kind of confidence, but a holy kind of confidence, balanced with humility, which says, my confidence is in God, wants to pour himself into us by the Holy Spirit. So at verse 13 we read, also because of Jesus, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had put your trust in him, you are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, God coming to live within us. This is the pledge of our inheritance in heaven, kind of a taste of heaven here on earth. But we will be fully redeemed in heaven, restored as God's own people, God's own family to the praise of God's glory. We catch a glimpse of it now. Holy Spirit empowers us to live as much as we can for God now. But one day, we will see him face to face. And he explains uh, this work of the Holy Spirit further in verse 17 when he describes the work of the Spirit as a light shining into our hearts. The lights just go on about Jesus. A spirit of wisdom and revelation through which we come to know God made known in Jesus. Do you know that God wants to help you 
so that you know God personally. The Spirit wants to help you to do that in a way you cannot do by yourself. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. Do you know the hope that God longs to place within your heart? Which we don't get from the world around about us, but God wants us to have it no matter what is happening around about us. Do you know the size of the wealth that God wants to bestow on you? When there's so much uncertainty about wealth in our society just now, so much division between those who have and those who do not have, the size of his wealth, the inheritance bestowed on us, the power that he wants to give to us. The word in Greek is dunamos, dynamite, that he wants to place within us. His energy and his great strength. God wants to place within you and me the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. So if you feel as if you're at a dead end and you have no hope, you're exactly where God wants you to be because God enters that kind of a picture always to bring life to the dead and resurrection to those who have no power left in themselves. This is what God has done for us. This is what the Apostle Paul believed God had done for him. This is what he believed that God had done for the Ephesians. All of these things piled one on top of the other. Things that we cannot do for ourselves. And because of this, Paul wanted no longer to live for himself, but to live for Christ and for the praise of Christ's glory. And to find in that that he wasn't the loser, but actually he was the winner because this is what we were made for. And so he prays for the Ephesians. This is his prayer for them. And it's my prayer for National as well. That more and more, in a world of bad news and fake news and unending 24-7 cable news, that we would be shaped and modeled not by that news, but by the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. That this good news would never be taken away from us by any other news that we hear, but it would be so central to our lives, who Jesus is and what he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves, that we freely find joy in giving our lives away to him and finding in that our true fulfillment and purpose. So hear his prayer. My prayer for you as well. I do not cease to give thanks for you, as I remember you in my prayers, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation through which you come to know him, so that with God's light shining into the eyes of your heart, you may know the hope, the eternal hope to which he has called you, the size of his wealth, the glorious inheritance he wants to bestow upon you as his people and the immeasurable greatness of his power, the dynamite at work within us by the Holy Spirit, the same power through which he raised Jesus from the dead. I pray that you would know this individually, but I also pray for the community that we as a church would know this and together would shine as a light for Christ in this city and in the world. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let's pray.
Holy God, look down upon us. Help us know that our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his constancy is what we can depend upon so that we are not the same yesterday as today or forever, but we are constantly being changed by you, molded and shaped into your image, and more and more changed so that we can serve you together in your world. Help us, we beseech you, to more and more, by the power of your Spirit, be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, together in God's world, living for the praise of his glory. Amen.